episodes, welcome back to The Word is Resistance. Who are we meant to be to each other? What do the scripture stories have to say about that in ways that can support us in shaping a more just, anti-racist, compassionate future out of this pandemic? What is the pandemic revealing that we can learn from? What's the word for white Christians in this moment? These are the questions we're wrestling with this Easter season on The Word is Resistance, a COVID-19 pandemic Easter season that, as my dear colleague Nicola said on the last episode, still feels quite a lot like Good Friday. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap welcoming you back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast I coordinate for showing up for racial justice or surge. I'm the faith coordinator for Surge, living in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee and Erie peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christian folks talking to other white Christian folks about race and white supremacy, even in these unprecedented times of the COVID-19 pandemic. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We are building up a new world. These words from Dr. Vincent Harding may feel like a huge declaration of faith in this moment, For me, Dr. Harding's song is a reminder that yes, even in this moment, we can shape and are shaping the future we want. We are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December, 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the, po- the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. How are you? I confess I have not been great. I'm feeling a little more grounded emotionally since the last time I did this podcast, but my brain is still having a hard time. I'm distracted a lot. I have trouble concentrating and putting complex thoughts together, and I'm really struggling, honestly, to feel imaginative or creative. These are all normal responses to the crisis we're living in right now, and I've learned from good therapists and somatics coaches that my brain is doing some good work at protecting me. I try to remember this and thank my brain when, for example, I forget to put any herbs in the teapot to make tea. Still, it's disconcerting. And it was intimidating to know that this week's gospel, the good gate and shepherd from John 10, is a tough one. And a text that has been used to exclude and steal and kill and destroy. Part of me wanted to just share out the episode I did when these were the texts three years ago. Uh, episode on the first Peter text, which you should totally check out because I went to town on how terrible that text is. And the link to that is in the transcript. But I wanted to know for myself, 
what these metaphors Jesus uses might offer us for these times and for our question, who are we meant to be to each other? So I'm trying to let go of the pressure I put on myself to solve all the world's problems in one podcast and just offer what I found as food for thought and give thanks to my brain for all the work that it's doing that I'm not aware of. Who are we meant to be to each other? Here's the reading from John 10. This is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. we meant to be to each other. If you've been following this podcast for a while, you know that when I lived in Colorado, I worked on a goat farm in the foothills outside of Denver. I met Lori, the goat mama farmer, in 2008 and started going up there periodically to help out, to learn the chores and skills necessary to be a good shepherd, or in this case, goat herd. (laughs) In 2014, I began working there weekly up until we moved last spring, and for a while it was my only steady job. I loved working at the farm. Lori has a herd of milk goats, uh, lots of free-roaming chickens, a few turkeys, a variety of barn cats, and two brother geese I named Fred and George. But it was the goats that I loved the most. It is a lot of daily work to make sure the animals are fed and healthy and safe. I learned how to milk. I fed everyone their alfalfa and chicken feed and put them all to bed and occasionally got them up in the morning. I learned all the hiding places for eggs. I mended fences. Fences always need mending. 
I dug trenches to keep water flowing downhill instead of puddling up around barn doors. One summer, we built a whole new barn, and I learned how to roof and line up hinges, and then I painted the whole thing. I learned what kind of latches and hooks are safe from bears and mountain lions. I got stalked by roosters. I carried buckets and buckets and buckets of water. I shoveled a lot of manure. I mean, a lot. I built gates. And I learned that chains are stronger for gates than latches to keep predators out and keep the goats in. Oh, and I helped babies get born. Then I got to snuggle the goat babies to help them get used to humans. That was my favorite chore. Sometimes I just sit in a barn doorway with a kid in my lap and watch the sun or the sky or the moon rise. I loved working up there, hanging out with the goats who'd perk up when I'd holler greetings down the hill when I got there. My favorite girl, Snowdrop, knew her name when I called her and would turn around and I swear, I swear she'd smile at me as she came up to the gate for a head scratch. Lori's farm sits in a bowl of a meadow surrounded by scrub forest. It's a gorgeous spot. Deer come through all the time, and elk sometimes in the winter. We'd leave old hay out for them in the winter and tubs of water in the summer. And there's skunks <laughs> looking for the easy feasts of spilled grain under the milking stand. And there are bears in the forest and mountain lions, though it was rare for them to come out into the open, unprotected meadow where Lori's farm was. However, they were known to get into neighbors' farms on occasion, the ones along the tree lines where they could hide. So it was important that fences were high and gates were strong and holes were patched or blocked and latches were paw-proof. And Lori never let the gang out to pasture in the summer if she was not there to keep watch for predators. One spring, though, a mama fox moved into the neighborhood and she started hanging around the farm. She was needing to feed her babies, so it was hard to be mad when she started sneaking into the corrals to get a hen, then another and another. It was spring, so we had goat babies then too, and a fox could get a little goat kid if they wanted to. So it was even more important to protect everyone, to do all we could to keep everyone safe. So we built the fences higher so the fox couldn't climb over, even putting fencing panels on top of the gates, which was clumsy for us, but safer for everyone else. And we all had to keep watch. I was working up there by myself a lot that spring and Lori taught me, pay attention to the sounds. Everyone will go totally silent if the fox shows up, and all the goats will go still and on point watching. So a good goat herd would also be quiet and extra attentive, looking up from shoveling frequently, paying attention to the sounds, to the movement. No music or podcast and headphones, no getting lost in my own daydreaming and not being present. Sure enough, one afternoon it happened. 
I felt more than heard everything go still and quiet, and I quickly looked up, and all the goats were facing the same direction towards where the fox was sniffing around along the fence trying to find a way in. I grabbed my pitchfork and ran towards her, getting through the gate as quick as I could while being sure to chain it up behind me, and grabbing a stripped pine branch, I hollered at her, chasing her all the way back up the hill till she was gone. I'm sure it was a hilarious sight, me running uphill after the fox, pitchfork in one hand, big stick in the other, yelling, no, 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 you will not. But that's what you do when you're the goat herder. You keep your beloveds safe. You watch for what is a threat, foxes, and what is not, deer. And you know your beloved so well, they know you when you call their name. And you've proven trustworthy enough for them to follow you when you call. Mostly, they are goats after all. And you make sure they have good food and clean water and their injuries and illnesses are tended to. You snuggle the babies and love on the elders. You keep the fences mended and the gates strong. You keep your beloveds safe, all of them. meant to be to each other. The thing about gates is there are many ways to use them, right? You can wall your community off from the undesirables, quote unquote, and have one gate for entry exit to keep all your privilege all on the inside. You can set up a gate as a checkpoint, checking people's papers to see if they're worthy enough to enter. And by papers, I mean papers, and I mean belief systems, and I mean class and race and gender. But at the farm, the gates and fences weren't about exclusion, really. They were about protection. They were about discernment. They were about recognizing there are threats to the community and doing what you can to keep everyone safe. And there are those who have learned the goat herder skills of discernment well enough to keep watch over the gates. And so, yes, there were fences and gates at the farm, but also hay was scattered in the pasture in winter for hungry deer and elk. Grain crops and sunflowers were grown for the birds, and tubs of water were kept filled so all thirsty animals could have a drink in the dry and dusty summers. And in fact, nobody shot or trapped the fox trying to feed her babies. We protected the chickens and the geese and the goats, and eventually she moved on. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's no reason to believe in John 10 that the sheepfold doesn't mean the whole world. 
God loves the whole world. That's what it says back in John 3. So the sheepfold is everybody. So that's one thing. But what does it mean that Jesus claims to be the gate and that everyone who goes in and out via Jesus the gate is saved? That's the part that's been used to divide and exclude and harm, setting up the gate as paper's checkpoint between believers and non-believers. But Jesus doesn't say anything about belief here. What he says is about listening. The sheep listen for the one who knows their name, which means there's an established mutual relationship so that the sheep know the voice of the one they can trust, the one who guarantees life in abundance, the flourishing of life here and now for the whole world in the face of threat. Jesus's community and the community that created John's gospel knew a lot about threat. They knew a lot about forces that promised to make Rome great again, but thieved and killed and destroyed them, stole their crops, executed their leaders, burned their villages, got into their heads trying to make them forget who they were, trying to make them stay in their place the empire assigned them, trying to make them turn on each other, betray each other. In the face of all that, Jesus is the gate of safety, is what I see him saying here, because the gate isn't about belief, but about following the way that assures the flourishing of life. Not a checkpoint, but a discernment. Is this a threat to the flourishing of life? And later in the gospel, Jesus gives that task of being just like him to everyone he's been training, organizing, his community. He charges them to be gates too. Not in those exact words, but in how he washes their feet and tells them to do the same. In how he tells them, love one another, that's the most important thing. And how he says, I'm in the divine and you're in me and I'm in you, so really we're all one. You can do what I've done. Feed people, heal people, love people, and how he calls three people by name for very important tasks. Lazarus, rise up from death. Mary Magdalene, go tell everyone the empire couldn't kill me. Simon, feed and tend my sheep. Abundant life, here and now. The gatekeeper is trained skilled to watch for threats lurking along the fence line to assure abundant, flourishing life for all. Who are we meant to be to each other? Is it weird to say we're meant to be gatekeepers? Remember, the gate is not a checkpoint. The gate is not about excluding non-believers. The gate is about discernment about recognizing there are forces, systems that will thieve and kill and destroy, that will try to make you forget your name, that will try to make you forget you belong, that will try to make you betray your neighbor, hell, that will try to make you believe you have no neighbor, 
The thieves have gotten into our heads, getting us to believe that thieving and killing and destroying is actually the way, actually to our benefit, when all it does is leave us with a parched earth and no PPE and political and healthcare systems still, still making decisions based on profit rather than on the whole entire flourishing, abundant well-being of everybody. No exceptions. The gate is recognizing there is a choice. Abundant life for all, or thieve, kill, and destroy. Good gatekeepers are trained, skilled, to know which is which, and to know how we've been tricked into thinking the threat is not the thieves and bandits, but those who have been stolen from. Good gatekeepers help us remember what abundant life actually is. Food and shelter and health care and love and cherishing and safety for everyone. The whole world. And good gatekeepers teach others to do and be the same. Who keeps us safe? We keep us safe. That's salvation. Amen. This pandemic is teaching us something about what abundant life is or can be. Abundant life is wearing our masks. Abundant life is mutual aid and rent strikes and checking on our neighbors. Abundant life is health care for everyone, period, and COVID test for everyone and assuring people have what they need, including money, to stay home. Abundant life is not checking people's papers before you give them food or shelter or health care. In fact, abundant life doesn't check people's papers at all. Abundant life is realizing our worth has nothing to do with capitalism. Abundant life is rest and ease and care for our tired brains working overtime to protect us. Abundant life is getting people out of jail, out of detention, and making sure they have safe places to go. Abundant life is supporting artists of all sorts who are nourishing our souls right now. Abundant life is throwing all our energy and dreams and hearts into building a world that values abundant life, not thievery and killing and destruction. What else? What would you add to that list? Maybe it's something you're already doing. Every act we can take towards abundant life, towards flourishing well-being for everyone, the whole world, no exceptions, is an act of building up that new world Dr. Harding sings about. Thanks as always for joining me from wherever you are on this good earth. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages. 
And we'd love to hear from you, and especially from folks of color or non-Christian folks who may be checking us out about how we're doing. Next week, we'll have a resistance word from Seth Whispaway. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. And finally, a huge, huge thanks as always to our sound editor this week, Max Pearl. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap.